All right, thank you for joining us, Rob. How are you doing this morning? Good, very good. Very good, Casey. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. And no problem, no problem. Let's start just by telling us a bit about you and what you're currently doing right now, and then we'll get into your background and your history after that. Okay. Um, I run an IT uh, cybersecurity um, and uh, IT management consultant uh, company. Uh, we've been in business for over 20 years. Uh, we primarily help small, medium businesses with uh, IT infrastructure and support. Um, uh, you know, obviously, right now we're in the times of COVID-19, so we're extremely busy. Our, our, you know, everybody needs to work from remote at home, and so we're helping our customers set that up a lot. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. So, so let's dig into your history. You've got a fantastic background, starting all the way in Hong Kong in trading. So, can we can we start there and go along and kind of follow your journey as you? moved countries to America, studied, started your own business. There's a lot to kind of get through. Sure, sure. I, I was born in Hong Kong and then uh, my family, uh, I left there when I was a year and a half to uh, South America where uh, my family had a, a ranch, a farm, a carnation ranch. So I was out there during my early, early childhood and then came to America in the early 70s. And then so I basically grew up here in, uh, in uh, California um, go schooling and everything was here. And then uh, I went to Hong Kong for trading after I graduated. It was uh, during the recession. And um, I, I did for two reasons, because uh, there was not much work here in America at the time. And also at the time I was pursuing the person to be my wife. So, so and she was in Hong Kong. So, so I went over there. Yeah. Fantastic. So you went to Hong Kong for love. Yes. And how did that all work out? Well, well, we're still happily married and we have two children, uh, so it's all worked out good. So, so as they say, I, I went deep sea fishing uh, across the Pacific. Fantastic. I love that story. So then tell us a little bit about Hong Kong, because then moving away from America, where you'd been schooled and spent so many years, to a new country with new cultures and, and all the rest of that, how, how did you fit in and how did that go? Well, I, I, I've always uh, been going back and forth, you know, uh, even when I was a teenager here uh, with the parents and stuff. So I'm familiar with the, uh, the culture of the society and then, you know, we speak Cantonese at the house. And so, so um, you know, mine was not perfect, but I could get around town. And so I went there and my parents had a place. So I lived there and um, just, you know, looked for work and, and doing things. And then I found a, a job trading. And, uh, and I picked up the bug for trading and uh, did a little bit of forex trading on there. And that was very interesting. I still, I still trade a little bit on the side now and now here and there, but not in a big way. Yeah. And then how did that then fast forward a few more years and a few more kids into it, uh, into an IT company? Um, I've always been in computers uh, since my high school days uh, with the uh, Apple II. Uh, grew up with the Apple II, the Atari, Commodore, Odyssey, some of those names that some of your viewers might not uh, uh, have ever heard about. And um, from the Apple II uh, time, uh, you know, always been in the computers. Even like when I, was, I graduated as a mechanical engineer, my senior project was in programming. I did a programming project for a solar panel. So it had nothing to do with mechanical engineering. And um, so I was, uh, I would say, I don't, I'm not a whiz kid at the computers, but I picked it up very easily. So, so I, I, it was a natural for me. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so let's get into the kind of running a business and kind of some of the, the major obstacles and hurdles that, that you've had to overcome over the years. Oh, 
starting a business, obviously, the first part is, is, is the planning and starting, getting things ready together. Uh, one of the obstacles, major obstacles, and, and always still is the case, is um, uh, managing cash, cash flow and employees. I mean, your, uh, the, the major assets of the business is really your, your employees, um, the cash, and the clients, right? Um, the product and the service in any business can be whatever it is, but without clients, you know, you really have no business, right? You need somebody to sell to, Absolutely. and the employees are ultra important because you need them to execute for the clients, right? So whether it's a product or a service, even if you're selling a product, the execution, delivering the product, making the product correct and right, uh, all that um, all that is very important. We used to make products. Our company started out as Atomic PC, and PC stand, stood for power computing. And uh, we built PCs, you know, uh, obviously not to the level of Dell, I wish, but, um, uh, but that transitioned into services. So, so we've done products and services, but now we are primarily a service firm. We, we sell products, but we don't manufacture or build them ourselves anymore. And then just to give everyone some context, how many uh, employees do you currently have? Um, pr uh, 23. Prior to COVID-19, it was 23. I've had to lay a couple off that were n considered non-essential, but all the IT staff are essential and they are, they are full-time. Yeah, I'm guessing you're very busy at that time. So getting up to 23 staff. So obviously you start, I'm assuming just with yourself and you scaled up to that. What were some of the problems in, in knowing when to bring the next person in and managing that cash flow that you've already mentioned? Um, I hear this struggle with, uh, sometimes I, sp I speak with um, colleagues that are uh, smaller consultant shops that are one or two person. And uh, we, we broke that barrier early on. Um, I think after the first year uh, or the second year, we, need, we, we started to hire uh, one person at a time. And, and uh, I guess as a business owner, you have to weigh quality of life. I mean, if you're in the business 20 hours a day or 18 hours a day and you don't have time to sleep, eat or whatever, then, then you really need to you know, consider hiring a person. If you cannot make enough money at, even at, at working 20 hours a day to hire another person, assistant, no matter how little it is to take some time off of, off your load, then, then you really have to really consider, you know, you know, look in the mirror and see what's going on here, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't be swindling, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that's plain. <laughs> so once people have kind of got that step down and they're able to hire one or two people and bring them on, uh, let's talk about the culture for a second because with every new person coming into a company, it's going to impact the culture. It's going to affect the culture of that organization. Uh, how would you guide that and how would you improve the culture and kind of make it fit and work around what you actually want it to be? Okay. Culture is very, very important. Um, uh, I think uh, without the right culture, uh, your business will 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 uh, um, will not succeed. Um, and and here's here's the key 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 thing. And and I'll speak from a, in a terms of a service company. What we provide to customers is service. We do not create or invent technology. We implement that technology, right? So the implementation of technology is ultra, ultra important. Um, the, uh, and when we hire uh, our, our uh, we, I do what I call the AAA of hiring, okay? So the AAAs means um, attitude, aptitude, and ability. 
in that specific order to build culture. If you don't have the right attitude, I don't care if you have the best ability, you are the only rocket scientist on the planet, you're not gonna fit in with the company, right? So if you have the right attitude and aptitude, the ability to learn, you have number one and two, then you may not have ability, but you can learn, you can pick up ability if the first two are present. So that's, that's a, a part of our culture. And, and uh, we get comments from our customers uh, that, you know, you have a really great team, you know, they're very patient with us. They really uh, go out of the way to, to help us. And that comes from hiring the right people. Um, mistakes in the past is hiring the wrong people that do not fit the culture or they're disruptive to the team in some way, shape or form, you know. So let's use that example then. So let's just say you, you hired a bad hire. How quickly would you transition that person out of your business after realizing they don't fit? And what steps would you kind of allow them leeway on before you make that determination? This is my number one um, biggest fault. I do not fire fast enough. Um, I'm Why do you think that is? I'm, I'm too sympathetic. I want to give people a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And over time, you'll find that these chances are really costing the company. A, the, what, what happens when you keep a person that doesn't have the right culture? They start infecting your other employees with bad um, karma, uh, uh, just bad morale and saying things that, that are negative, right? And then eventually that filters down to uh, the service to the customers. And then the customers will detect and feel that. And I have a very good relationship with all our customers. And some customers will come and tell me that, hey, we don't like that person. We don't like what they said. We don't like how their demeanor was. And basically it's, it's an indirect way of saying, you need to get rid of this person or we're not going to do business with you, right? If it gets to that, then it's too late. So, so you need to really... I think for, uh, for new entrepreneurs, if someone doesn't fit, obviously you want to give them a chance. If, if you give them a chance and it doesn't cut it, you have to have clear guidelines and say, you know, you're, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, I think a lot, of, a lot of people have that similar problem, um, which is not really a problem. It's, it's good because you're being a good person and you're trying to develop them, but it's, uh, it's something that I hear a lot along a lot of our clients are similar where they want to keep trying and trying, but you know, you get to a stage. But in the end, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, doesn't it work. impacts the business the most, right? Yeah. If the customer's not happy at the end of the day. So let's talk a little bit more about scaling um, because I feel a lot of, a lot of the, the audience right now is at a point where COVID-19 is here, as you've already mentioned, and, and a lot of people are laying off or furloughing. Um, but when, once we get past this, I think there'll be a big influx of the, the economy coming back up and people rehiring. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of pain before that happens. But generally speaking, um, what are some of the tips that you use to find good talent? I think checking the references, um, the due diligence of checking references uh, is very, very key. One, one of the, the, the business books that I read, and I forgot which one, they said the best candidates will make the arrangements for your references. Um, and, and let me give you a, a explain to that, upon that a little bit. Sometimes when you, call, you, you have the resume and they give you references, 
and you're calling the other person back on the other side. And it's difficult to get a hold of the other person to check the references, right? But if a candidate has a really good reference, they, they should be able to coordinate and get the other side and you to, to be on the call together instead of me chasing down the reference or, the ch or playing phone tag, right? And that says a lot about what that reference is willing to do for the candidate. And number two, the candidate's, candidate's ability to coordinate people. So you're doing two things at once. That's really smart. I really like that. I've never used that personally. So uh, I think uh, that's a fantastic point. Yeah. And it's having them facilitate it and kind of do the work. And if the relationship's strong enough, then that shouldn't be an issue, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So looking back over the years, what, what are some of the things that you would have changed with your business or things you would have just done differently along the way? You've been in business many years now, so uh, I'm sure... If you've had many ups and downs. I, I think what I would have done early on, instead of spending money on, um, on uh, marketing um, or advertisement, I would have uh, allocated that money. You have a finite amount of money to spend. Um, I would have spent that money on executive coaching or business coaching. For yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're starting out fresh and new, you think you know how to do things and you're excited about selling your product and services and you think everybody wants to buy your stuff and you're concentrating and putting all your focus and efforts on sales and marketing, but to run an organization is different from selling. And, and either some people have it and some people don't, I don't have, I don't have the operational organizational experience at that time, you know, and I think if I had an, uh, an executive coach come in and, and set up that structure, um, we probably would have been further along. So sure. let's, let's dig into that a little bit because uh, you, you bring up a really good point. And what I'm kind of taking away from that is as a new entrepreneur, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, and kind of bringing someone along or consulting with someone that has been there or done that or can guide you um, seems to add a lot of value. Right. So what are some of the things that the executive coaches that you've used over the years have helped? They, uh, they help you see, um, they, they help you focus and pinpoint you in a direction. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you have like 20,000 ideas in your head. You want to do all these things and everything sounds great. Um, and if you have, don't have the financial acumen, you know, a proper, you know, executive coach will, you know, go through the numbers and say, you know what, you're going to spend X on, on this product or service, but your return is so little. Why are you doing this? Right. It may sound good to you, but financially and strategically, it may not be the one the, where you want to spend the money on. Right. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an easy example. Right. Amazing. So then talking about finances as well, you know, a lot of the things that we help people with here is understanding the numbers as they scale. Uh, what type of coaching did you get on the financial side as your business went from one employee all the way past 20 plus? I, I think it's very important for the business owner to have an accurate pulse on the company. Um, 
and and it, and a lot of small business they'll start out with a simple accounting program. I'm, I'm not going to name names and, and and be bashing on any one of them. There's they're 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 low cost and simple for what they are, but you really need to know. If you have more than one product or service in different lines, you really need to start uh, organizing your data in the way you do accounting so that you know uh, how much money or not you're making from different uh, departments or product lines. Because sometimes, you know, you get wrapped up into things and you're just looking at the bottom line of the sales and a lot of business owners say they're just looking at the top line. What's my gross revenue? But then at the end of the day or at the end of the year, their net profit is like not what they expected and they don't know where the money is gone. Right. And so and then by the same token, you have some owners that are so tight and they're they're uh, watching every single penny. And I think that's also to the detriment. You have to know where to spend and where to save. And then that's a tough, tough one all the time. And then what help have you had in order to help you make those decisions more efficiently and make the right decisions? Well, I'm, I'm, I've been traditionally a spender. My wife is, uh, runs all the financials for the company. She's like the, uh, the controller accounting, the, um, and all of the bookkeeping and everything. And, uh, and, uh, I am fortunate in that uh, I'm able to work with my wife. I know it's very difficult for some people to be with their spouse 24 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, I am one of the lucky ones, and I, I don't want to make any um, uh, be bashful about that. I am very lucky and fortunate to be in that situation. And, and she keeps the, the, the company afloat. You know, she manages the cash, when to pay, and all this. And when I want to buy things, I have to go to her for permission, right? So I don't get to spend anything. <laughs> I think that's a great balance to have. And a lot of entrepreneurs kind of miss that where they'll bring in kind of a low level bookkeeper and kind of just have them crunch numbers. But like you said, focusing on the wrong things, if they're just focusing on revenue or the net profit and not really understanding where the cash is going, that that's the biggest killer of businesses from what we see. And then when we consult businesses on a CFO level, it's uh, the first thing we look at is controlling the cash because it's just the lifeblood of any company. Cash is king, especially at times like this where uh, COVID-19 has pretty much wiped out a lot of businesses or reduced a lot of that income. It's, uh, it's critical to really understand your cash position and know how far out you are. One of the things that we implement very early on in most businesses is uh, a weekly rolling cash flow forecast just so you have absolute visibility on all expenses and all revenues coming in so that the CEO can just have a quick glance and a review, see what the position is and make sure you can control it accordingly. So, right. And, and then, and know your KPIs, you know, you have to, or which ones are relevant for you. Yeah. Uh, transitions fantastically into the next thing. So we can talk about metrics and KPIs and, what are some of the, some of the key performance indicators that that you use in your business and that have been most helpful to help you make better decisions? We are our KPIs are based on because we're a service firm, so so the metrics and numbers that we have are um, the um, the amount of time spent, uh, how many how many service requests per client, um, the amount of requests that come in from a client how fast they are responded to, how fast they, they are, the, the, the um, um, 
uh, how quickly the resolution is is obtained, um, and uh, and since we don't deal with inventory, we're not concerned about you know uh, a turn and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, we price our services on the flat rate, and. And uh, one analogy to in explaining this to customers that I don't understand because they're used to paying on a time and materials or dollars per hour basis um, is that I tell the customer for us to make money is for you to think that I'm doing nothing. That means I am taking care of everything and nothing ever goes wrong. That's just a wish. But in reality, all networks and systems and businesses have something that goes wrong a little bit all the time, right? And, and then you're paying us a flat rate to go deal with it and make sure it doesn't come back up again. And, and our service is akin to basically, and I'll coin this phrase, you, medical related, is uh, you're getting PPO service at an HMO cost. We give you a flat rate and we're here to help maintain your systems. And if you ever get a major heart attack or your server crashes akin to a heart attack, we will be there overnight doing the recovery and getting you back operational and up on your feet again without additional cost, right? Um, and so our metric is really how much time is spent uh, with a customer. Obviously, with, with any business, there are going to be some customers that are less profitable because they have a lot more issues and some that are more profitable. But you should be able to know who are the one, those profitable ones and which ones are not. Yeah. Fantastic. So as, as we go to wrap up now, if there was some advice that you could give to other entrepreneurs that could help them succeed, uh, what would that be? Um, I, th I think, well, I put it this way. Um, listen, 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 act, and then listen again, right? Listen to your customers, listen to your employees, listen to your, to your financial people, your, your banks and stuff like that, your, my wife in this case. Um, and again, listen to the employees, right? Uh, the mistake is you're selling or trying to sell something to somebody and it's not really what they want, right? Matching the service, the product, the price point and everything to what the customer needs are Fulfilling their needs is really the key. Fulfilling their needs is key, right? That's, that's a fantastic point. So thank you so much for your time, Rob. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, I am on LinkedIn uh, under Atomic Rob. That's my nickname, Atomic Rob with no space. Um, or you can visit our site, um, uh, atomicts.com, T like technology, Sam, like S like solutions, autonomic technology solutions.com, right? Atomicts.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, just call in and, and ask for me and, and my team will hunt me down. Yeah. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll put the link down below to, thank uh, you. to, to Rob's website and his uh, LinkedIn profile as well. Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Great. Same here. Thank you, AC. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great.